Welcome to Impact AI, the podcast for startups who want to create a better future through the use of machine learning. I'm your host, Heather Couture. Today I'm joined by guest Amanda Mars, Senior Director of Product at Amp Robotics, to talk about modernizing the world's recycling infrastructure. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Amanda, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to Amp Robotics? Yeah, definitely. Um, I started out in uh, aerospace engineering, so my favorite joke is that I can make trash fly now, um, but I've always been interested in how technology can help solve some of the world's biggest problems, um, especially at the scale that the world is at now. Um, and so after working in aerospace for a bit, I uh, really wanted to go work in the sustainability industry and spent some time with GE focused on smart grid and other um, uh, grid electric electrification um, technologies, and then had a bit of time over at Amazon working in logistics um, and really wanted to focus on how do you build product at the speed and scale that large tech companies have to operate at. Um, very interested in how to bring that back to industrial businesses and help industrial businesses uh, continue to grow their technology in a meaningful way. Um, and so I joined Amp Robotics almost two years ago, and it's been just absolutely wonderful. Um, a huge part of of what I love so much about Amp Robotics is such a passionate workforce, uh, amazing technologist and very uh, passionate sustainability nerds, <laughs> which is a term of endearment. Um, and, uh, it, and it's just been so fun to dig into a problem that all of us really encounter in our daily life of waste. Um, and some of the recent numbers are in the US, we generate about five pounds of waste per person per day. Um, so quite a challenging problem and, and really, really cool to get to bring new technology like AI and robotics to help solve this problem. Great. That sounds exciting. Can you tell me more about what, what AMP does and why this is important for the environment and the global supply chain? Yeah, I'll start with the big problem. So we have, you know, like I mentioned, five pounds of waste per person per day in developed countries. Um, but what's really happening in that is billions of dollars worth of commodities are lost to the landfill every year. Um, and so recycling can be, you know, the feel good of the sustainability impact to the world, but it's also quite a practical part of the supply chain um, and of circular economy. And so, you know, when you look at, at just all the uh, true waste in the system um, and how much of that value is lost to landfill, it's certainly something that we all have to step back and say, is there a better way to approach this? Um, and so at AMP, we, we have a broad mission of, you know, enabling a world without waste. Um, and we work backwards on, you know, everything that ends up in a landfill to develop the technology we need to, to keep that from happening. Um, so we, we really have two main areas that we work in. One is technology that we will put in place at a material recovery facility or a MRF. Um, and so we as consumers, when we put our recyclables in a blue bin for a curbside recycling program, it gets picked up and it gets taken to a MRF. And that's where the sortation happens to uh, pull out the different commodities like your papers or your uh, aluminum cans or your plastics um, and make it something that is now in a sellable commodity bale uh, to, to be put back into the economy. Um, the other half of, of what we do at, at AMP is use our own technology for what's called a secondary sortation facility. So we you know, looked at everything going on in the industry and we said, there's still so much opportunity, so much is still making it into the landfill uh, where it wasn't uh, necessarily cost effective for the MRF to sort it the first time, uh, or maybe it's a residue stream, it was you know, about to go out to the landfill or just a mixed plastic bale. Um, and so we run that through a secondary sort process, which is you know, our technology 
in the whole facility. So the, the facility is purpose-built designed for this sortation. Um, and we separate those commodities to just give it one more pass before landfill. And what role does machine learning play in all of this? Oh, it's the enabler for sure. Um, so all of this technology really has, uh, you know, three main components. Uh, you have to be able to see the objects on the belt and that's where the machine learning comes in. You have to be able to sort the objects um, effectively and there's some, some ML behind that as well. Um, and then you have to be able to, you know, report, see what's happening and, and draw conclusions and make decisions and optimize further in the facilities. And so we have, uh, as a part of our product suite, you know, uh, the, the components for each of those. So specifically, the biggest part of our um, artificial intelligence and the machine learning that we've used to, to uh, really build that out um, is in our vision system. So it's a camera over a moving belt that is taking very rapid images of what's on the belt and then having neural network inference of what we see on that belt to classify it according to what the customer needs to sort. Um, and so we call that kind of the brain <laughs> and then the brain will drive a pick command to the robot. So we're going and picking that object. And so part of the ML I mentioned around picking that object is uh, some optimization to make sure that we're really getting that object because um, it's not enough to go after it. You know, recovery and value doesn't happen unless you actually put that item in the bunker. So it turns into a, a bale of commodity goods. So it sounds like you've got two main components there, the, the recognizing yeah. the objects and the picking where the yes. machine learning comes into play. Exactly. So for these, clearly you've got objects going down your belt and you're photographing them as they go. So that's how you gather images. How do you annotate them? How do you get this data ready for machine learning? Yeah, for sure. Um, so our installed base uh, with the scale that we are now of close to 300 robots installed across the world, um, we have over 50 billion objects per year of, of all those images on the belt. Um, so we use real world images to to annotate our, our data. So the gathering is, is fairly easy once you have an installed base. I guess I should go back in time though and say when we started in 2014, it wasn't so easy. We did a lot of dumpster diving, um, but now our dumpster diving is all virtual. <laughs> so that's pretty nice. Um, so we, we really want to use real world images in this space because you never have a perfect image. Everything's dirty, smashed, torn, objects are stuck together, objects are covered in peanut butter, right? Whatever it is, if you just think about what goes into your waste system, it, that's gonna look like that, except a little more jumbled up from the transportation process. Um, so we really want our images and what we train to to match the real world um, and all the glory of it. Um, so we, we optimized our neural network to that less than perfect data because real world is perfect to us. Uh, we use supervised annotation um, and we also have an extra layer to oversee where we have common mistakes, uh, highly confused items, uh, things that just you know aren't presented in a nice clear way. Um, and it needs a you know a double check and multiple people to uh, put eyes on the system. And then from all that data, the 50 billion objects a year, which I love that every time I say that number, it's now like too small and outdated. So we're probably at even more than that now. Um, we're always improving our neural network. So we're using deep learning and adding new capabilities. So one example of a capability, you know, to, to you and me as, as consumers, we just think, oh, I have a water bottle, for example. But to, uh, to recycling as an industry, depending on what offtake, you have to ask questions like, well, what's the primary material of the bottle? Does it have a wrapped label on it? What exactly is its color? Is it you know, truly clear or is it slightly tinted light blue? Um, is it food grade plastic or not? Does it have a cap on it or not, right? Like all of those are different 
classifications that you have to, you know, go beyond just the primary polymer on, on a plastic bottle, for example, and you have to really start to give all of the characteristics of it. And that's where having all of this data that you've gathered over 50 billion objects a year, you know, really, really helps. But then that that annotation layer is, of course, where one of the challenges lies. So how do you ensure that your machine learning models work for many different objects that you would see in yeah. this scenario and, you know, that might be imaged in different facilities? I don't know what, to what degree the lighting changes, different uh, variations like that. Yeah, uh, lighting definitely makes an impact, especially, you know, on these fast moving belts. And so we, in our vision systems design, um, have designed it so that we have very consistent lighting. Um, so that helps us out a lot. Um, really, the way to make sure that we're working for a diverse set of objects is to just use more data. Um, and to be able to look at the data in different ways. Um, and so, like I mentioned, you know, we started out with dumpster diving, but now we're fortunate we get to do all of that through the data that we already have. Um, I would say, like, as far as, as the diversity of the set of objects, a majority of the data, you know, fits nicely within kind of these primary categories. But in AI, typically there's this, you know, natural long tail, and we have that as well. Um, if you just think about the variety of objects in the world, all of those go end of life. And so we have to be able to recognize literally every object in the world that could end up in one of these facilities. Um, and so within that really long tail, we will pinpoint when we need to focus on specific problems, um, which comes along with all of the AI, you know, issues with pinpointing where, you know, it can take a little longer, it can need an extra layer of quality review. And, um, you know, it's only as good as, as what you're doing for that point. Um, and so that's just, you know, the diversity is, is uh, the name of the game in this industry where you have to be able to recognize everything. Um, and so a huge sample set of data uh, really helps us overcome that. Do you still end up with another category of unknown? You know, the system doesn't know we what do. the object is. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it could be that it's just, um, you know, smashed in a way or torn in a way that it's not even recognizable to a human. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, one of the beauty, beautiful things about AI is it can make inference faster than humans, especially, you know, when you're at the end of an eight hour shift, you've been looking at a moving belt all day, you know, you're a little human, a little dizzy, because that's what humans do. Um, you know, the wonderful thing about AI is it doesn't get tired, it doesn't get dizzy, um, and it can keep its inference, you know, at the same rate. Um, but there's just some objects that, you know, no matter what, it's, it's just going to not be recognizable. How do you measure the success of the machine learning models and, and the technology overall? Ultimately, success is measured by how well does it fit the customer's need. So there's really two main customer needs here. One is, are we able to sort what we need to sort, um, which is uh, in a lot of ways, a little bit of a lower bar uh, for customers. And then the second thing, which is, do we have the right level of granularity and precision and recall for uh, being able to really characterize all the material? Um, and so we really drive to that harder use case. Uh, if you solve that, then you know sorting is is a solved problem. Um, and so really, that's that's our ultimate measure of success. Now breaking that down into what do you use as input metrics for measuring the actual technology? We think a lot of about precision and recall. Um, we think a lot about a mean F1 score. What we try to do when we translate this to customers, you know, to non, uh, you know, deeply technical folks, they're technical in other ways, but, you know, they're not dealing with AI all day, um, is we really try to translate it to the outcomes. So, for example, precision and recall are, hey, you can get lots of the material, but you potentially are going to have a little bit less pure bales, or 
you can get not as much material, which affects revenue, but it's going to be great purity. And those are really the two trade-offs in this industry because it has an economic impact. Everything in this industry is related to dollars per ton. And then within that bale, there's a grading level that says, how pure is it? So every every bale has a recipe saying, okay, you can have you know this much of material A, but no more than this much of material B. Oh, and we never want to see material C in there. Um, and so that's where, you know, precision and recall from ML really helps us, you know, make sure that we're within that range for what the bale needs to be, which has direct revenue impact to our customers. So does that um, particular goal, might that change from customer to customer? So you tweak the tolerance yeah. for precision and recall? That's right. Yeah, we made it a sliding bar just to try to make it like an easy user interface um, and, you know, more intuitive for customers who don't think about precision and recall every day um, and just made it like this really nice UI to slide to say, do you want more stuff, but it might not be as pure or you want, you know, only when it's a really pure bail and you're willing to give up material for that. So hiring for machine learning can be quite challenging due to the high demand for professionals in this field right now. What approaches to recruiting and onboarding have been most successful for your team? Yeah, there's high demand and there's low supply of professionals in the field. So for any listeners who are thinking, hey, maybe this could be a career path for me, I absolutely suggest <laughs> diving into it. It's it's super fun. It's it's an amazing tool set, um, you know, to really help drive efficiencies. Um, I think a couple of things that we've done at AMP specific to really all technical talent um, is just, you know, knowing and making plans ahead, start your hiring process early so that you're expecting it might take a while before you really, really need, you know, that team member joined, onboarded, you know, trained up and enabled to, um, you know, help deliver on projects. Um, so just plan ahead, start early. The second thing I think about is really in how we target and attract talent. Um, you know, anyone in, in technical fields, especially in AI and ML are getting, uh, you know, pinged all the time for multiple opportunities. And so, you know, just having a, a role posted on your website or posted on, you know, an online tool isn't really going to be active enough to draw attention uh, to the role. We've been really fortunate at AMP. I, I know I kicked off by saying how amazingly passionate and talented our workforce is, and, and it's so true. Um, and so we're really fortunate that that helps attract other highly passionate, you know, good talent, uh, mission-driven talent to our team. So we do have this really great positive pull of other like-minded sustainability nerds. Um, but, you know, I think one of the also, also important things to remember here is there's many different roles in AI. So it's not just about deep learning engineers. Um, you know, there's ML infrastructure, there's data management, there's project management, there's you know, tool development, which is a little bit more traditional software uh, uh, development skill set, product management even, which is, you know, what I'm in. And so I think there's no, um, there's no reason to, to limit uh, yourself for any listeners who are thinking about maybe entering this field on, uh, you know, it has to be one type of role. And I think, you know, for, for us recruiting and thinking about what, you know, mix of talent we really need on a team, it's looking across all of those different areas and building out, you know, a team that uh, really complements each other's skill sets. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Machine learning requires a very diverse set of talent and it's yes. the technical areas you mentioned. It's also the the application, the domain experts, yes. you know, in your, your case, those who understand um, you know, the materials you're, you're sorting and, and imaging and so on. That that's absolutely team. right. 
Yeah. Most people don't walk around a grocery store and like pick up every object and look at what the, the number on the bottom is or <laughs> look at the way it's put together. But we have a wonderfully passionate team who does that and always finds fun objects. We have a, a Slack channel where we like to share them and post them with each other. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. But you're right. You have to have so much you know, domain expertise in that area. So speaking more broadly, is there any advice you could share to other teams of AI powered startups? Absolutely. So I uh, didn't come from an AI background and I've, you know, learned a lot. I came from a software background and a hardware background in many different, uh, you know, product areas. But uh, what I had to learn as I was going through, you know, my learning curve with AI is that it is different than software. Um, and so there's there's like a, an understanding and an intuition to build around this. And the way I'd summarize it is, you know, it's more probabilistic. Um, whereas, you know, traditional software development, if you're building an app or, or something similar, you know, you can, you can predict a little bit more about the outcome. You put in this effort, you know, you take these steps, you're able to get a tool that does X, Y, Z. Um, but with training an AI model, you say, well, we think in, what in one iteration we're going to get to, you know, this sort of performance score. Um, but it's not until you go through it that you really are able to say, okay, well, as we were going through the training, you know, and, and the learning that you're really putting into the tool, okay, here's what we learned, where are the outliers, and here's how we need to now do another training to get th through that, past that, you know, use that. And so that probabilistic nature for anyone else who's as OCD as I am is, you know, really hard because you can't just make this really clear uh, timeline plan to it. Of course, there's some things that you can build into your, your tooling and your data sets and, and your uh, curation processes and your quality processes uh, to give yourself the best chance of, you know, having uh, predictable training cycles. Um, so ultimately, you know, everything with a training cycle directly translates to that outcome to the customer that I was talking about. Like, are you able to sort enough of the right materials and to the right level? Um, and so that's really where... Uh, I guess the core of my advice is clear goals and evaluation criteria will help you make sure that you're doing the right training cycles to make sure that you're getting the outcomes you need. And finally, where do you see the impact of AMP Robotics in three to five years? Oh, three to five years, such a fun time frame to think about. Um, we already have this wonderful adoption of technology in the recycling industry that, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't be able to tell you had happened. And so um, it's been, you know, amazing to see the adoption, especially over the past five years, primarily driven by labor shortages, um, but also driven by this desire uh, to just, you know, make things uh you know, better economically, more viable as you get higher revenue and lower cost, um, you know, better impact uh, for, for the environment as well. Um, so when I think about the next three to five years, this proliferation of this technology in the industry gives us this rich data, which tells us, you know, what's really flowing through these facilities, what are trends to it, how do we use that data to push it back upstream to the packaging designers um, so that we can design for circularity better? Um, how do we push it back upstream for um, extended producer responsibility, which is more government uh, requirements um, and corporate sustainability goals that can lead to designing the right packaging? How do we push that data downstream to help create the right offtake opportunities? Um, so if you kind of think about the high level supply chain of recycling, but you have packaging, so is that designed for circularity? You have the sortation, which is where we play, and happy to say sortation is no longer the bottleneck. And then you have offtake. Everything has to have a home to go to and a way to be recycled, upcycled, or downcycled. And so really, you know, connecting, using the data from sortation to drive upstream and downstream changes. Um, in three to five years, I dream of sortation becoming even more widespread uh, than 
than it is now, um, just so that you're really getting those efficiencies. I'm also pretty passionate about, you know, manual sorting is a very dirty, dangerous, repetitive uh, role. And so robots in a lot of cases are keeping people from being in, you know, harm's way in, in these roles. Um, and then harnessing new materials and new sortation points that you know, machines and humans are not today. Um, and so stay tuned for really fun product updates coming from AMP next year. <laughs> but all of that really comes together to make just offtake more economically viable. So more is circular, right? We want to keep everything out of the landfill and that's our mission. This has been great, Amanda. Your team at AMP Robotics is doing some really interesting work with computer vision and machine learning for recycling. I expect the insights you've shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? Yeah, check out our website. Uh, check out, uh, just if you do some searches, you can see some really cool videos of our robots picking and of you know material lines. Um, and also, you know, just outside of our specific tech, if you just want to see how this industry works, uh, Google MRF for Material Recovery Facility. And there's some really great YouTube videos out there that give you an overview of the process. So if you ever wondered what happens to your curbside recyclables, you'll get some videos to check it out. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI.